0: This is the fourth message in our series in which we're naming it Wholehearted, and it is a a look at our renewed mission and values. We stand at the juncture of 20 years. We look back at 20 years as a community of faith, and we're here looking forward now at what's in store, and it's absolutely appropriate that we as a church would pause and go, what has the Lord done? And you know... Let's not presume upon that. Let's stop. Where do we need to repent? Where do we need to grow? What, God might, what might God be saying to us as we now look forward say, what do the next 20 years look like? So that's why we're doing this. And we started off by telling our story. Rob and I told our story three weeks ago. And then a week ago, I I stood up here and I said, let's look at our five core values. And I said, they're like fletchings on an arrow. Core values don't just sit on a shelf. Now, we, we, we talk about them. We use them every day because like the fletching goes on an arrow, they enable the arrow to fly straight so that we're flying straight toward our mission. We've got to make sure we're not veering to the left or the right. And these values guide us. Does anyone Want to try and name the five core values of Fellowship Bible Church? Allison, you raised your hand. No, I'm teasing. You did. Okay, go, go. Oh, you can't! Ah, stop! But he has them written down. Okay, nobody, no. I wouldn't expect anybody to do this. But look, our five core values: we are word-centered, spirit-directed. Better together, courageously real. And the last one is? Not about one more time. We're not about y'all, we're not about ourselves. Those five core values guide and direct all that we do. And, and, and then last week, Rob said, well, let's look at our mission, okay? And I love the way he did it. He started with the fact that, you know, when we talk about renewed mission, y'all, it's not new. I mean, it, it, the mission never changes for the church. And the way Rob described that is... He took the big circle, you know, he had it up here, and a big circle that says, you know, all of humanity, every human being on the planet is made to glorify God. So we are all made to glorify God. And by the way, I watched Rob's message and there were times I thought he was going to come out of his skin. He got so excited. But if you missed it, go back and watch it because the part he does on the glory of God and why God's glory is not selfish of God, is so good. You won't read that in a book, a theology book, as well as he presented it. So I want to encourage you to look at that. So the glory of God, that's why we exist, the glory of God. But then he drew a circle within that and said, now when, when people come to faith in Christ and they connect to a body of Christ called the church, the church itself has a mission, and that is Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We exist to make disciples. So we exist to glorify God, the church exists to make disciples, and then right at the center of the bullseye, so now we're talking about Fellowship Bible Church Brentwood, Fellowship Bible Church Franklin, there's the center of the target, and this is how we uniquely glorify God and make disciples as a church. It's like this is our thumbprint, this is our fingerprint, and every church has one. And we stated that in this way and I want to put these slides up. You're going to see a bunch of slides this morning. Don't even try to take notes. We're going to be going so fast. But I'm going to have the slides up there and all the slides will be online. So here's the mission of Fellowship Bible Church. We exist. What, what do we do? You know, what, Our purpose, we exist to glorify God and make disciples. And here's the part. By helping people find wholehearted life in Christ. By helping people find wholehearted Hearted life in Christ. What we're going to do today is we are going to unpack and answer this question. (laughs) Okay, so what is wholehearted life in Jesus? And to answer that question, you all, requires a theology of the heart. A theology of the heart. It's just a simple way of saying, what does the Bible say? About the heart. We'll we'll answer the question by answering three questions. And here's the outline I'm going to move through. And again, I want to say this. I'm going to be throwing slides up and moving fast. For time's sake, it'll all be online. Here's the outline. What is the heart in Scripture? I mean, what is it according to the Bible? Secondly, uh, what does the heart do? Or, Or you could say, how does the heart function? How does it function? And the third question is, why does the heart matter? Okay, so three things we're going to say. We're gonna, I'm going to answer this question. Uh, what is the heart according to scripture? How does it function according to scripture? And why does it matter according to scripture? And I want you to know that Rob and I have talked for weeks on end, and even our, our leadership team have talked about this message, <laughs> like this message. And we've been anxious about it. And, and rightly so, because what I'm going to talk about this morning, we believe at the, I mean, we wouldn't have it as a mission statement if we didn't believe this, but we live the, at the, I mean, at the core of our being. Whole-hearted life in Jesus is what we were made for. It's what we were made for. It's what God intended for all of us. Wholehearted life. And to to grasp it, we have got to understand the heart. And as you're going to see as I move through here, if we miss the heart and, and, and an understanding of heart, I would venture to say we miss wholehearted life in Jesus. There's so much riding on our time this morning. And I trust the Spirit is going to teach us as we move through these verses. All right, let's get started. What is the heart in scripture, the Bible uses the word heart to describe uh, the human body or parts of the body more than any other word in the Bible. Heart, heart, heart. It, it speaks of the heart over a thousand times, depending on your translation. Hold off on that for a moment. Over a thousand times it, will, um, it, it uses the word heart. It's the Hebrew word lev or levav. It's the Greek word, you know this one, cardia Okay? And when the Bible uses the word heart, overwhelming. I mean, you can only find two or three times where it's speaking clearly of the organ, the blood pumping muscle. And you can only find a rare time where it's used of something that's like hidden or deep, like in the, in the heart of the sea. Okay, so those metaphoric use. Overwhelming when it says heart it is referring to the inner person, not to the organ, not to, some, to the inner person, what's inside of us, the, I would say, you know, the immaterial part of who we are. This is the material part, the immaterial part of who we are, the Bible says, is the heart. I want to be so careful as I unpack this that, I, that I'm going to use some experts, so to speak, because I read them, you know, and I study them. I'm not one. But let me give you some quotes, okay? And you're gonna see these on the screen. I'm gonna move through them quickly. It's all gonna be online. Notice what the new Bible dictionary says, one of my go-to resources. So there's certain go-tos that I can trust. And he says this in the, the new dictionary, the new Bible dictionary. The heart was essentially the whole man with all his attributes, physical, intellectual, and psychological, of which the Hebrew thought and spoke. And the heart was conceived as the governing center. For all of these, it is the heart which makes a man what he is and governs all his actions. Character, personality, will, mind are modern terms which all reflect something of the meaning of heart in its biblical usage. Let me be a little redundant and I'll come at it again. This from Erdman's Dictionary of Theology, another go-to for me, trustworthy as I study. Notice he says, the ancients did not use detailed psychological vocabulary to make the fine distinctions used in modern speech. The Hebrews thought of the whole human being and personality with all its physical, intellectual, and psychological attributes when they used heart It was considered the governing center for all of these. It is the heart, the core, which makes and identifies the person. What is the heart in Scripture? I've got it on the screen up here. The heart in Scripture is who you truly are and all that you are. It's really simple. I mean, it boils all those down, but it gets kind of graspable at this point. The heart. Now, it's, it's inner, but it's who you truly are. And it's all that you are. This is affirmed in a Proverbs you might be familiar with. If you read Proverbs every day, listen to Proverbs twenty seven nineteen, As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. This is profound, you all. And it says what it means. When you peer into still water, what you see is your true reflection. You see you. When you peer into the inner person of you, you you, you know, the, the immaterial part of who you are, the heart, that is who you really are. That's who you are. I'm not discounting the body. Don't go there. It's not to say the body doesn't matter. The body matters. It'll be, you know, these bodies will be resurrected. They're glorious, steward, of but, but, But the core of who a person is, is the heart. Listen to Dr. Uh, Robert Saucy. He's got a great book called uh, Minding the Heart. And note what he says. Again, I'm reinforcing this. He says, it's not how we look or what status or position we have or what we have accomplished, or even what others think of us that determines who we are. That's worth its weight in gold. You are not who others think you are, you see. True self-knowledge comes from looking inwardly at the thoughts and attitudes that reside deep in the heart. Since the real identity of a person is his heart, the heart often equals the person. What? What? What is the heart in Scripture? The heart is who you truly are, and it's all that you are. Second question we're answering, how does the heart function? Here's how we're going to do that. I am going to throw up verses. I'm going to read them out loud. You'll follow along on the screen, and we're going to answer this question. What do those verses imply? Implicit, it's either implicit or explicit, but they say they're pointing to and pointing out what the heart does. That says the heart does this. The heart has this function. I started with a long list. I cut it to seven. I cut it to six. I cut it to five. I cut it to four. I'm only going to show you three because I don't have time to go through all of these. But I'm going to walk through them, and I want you to answer when I ask you at the end, what do these verses show the heart does? Here's the first set of verses. We're going to begin with Genesis 6-5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on earth, And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Proverbs 23, 7. This is New King James. For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Eat and drink, he says, but his heart is not with you. And Jesus in Matthew 9, 4 says, And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? According to the scripture... What's one function of the heart from these verses? Just say it out loud. Thinking. See, with the heart, we think. You say, that's not right. We think with the brain. There is no Hebrew word for brain. They weren't concerned with anatomy in this. They're concerned with the whole person and the true person. And for the Hebrew, they located thought thinking, reason in this thing called the heart. You with me? There's more to the heart. Let me give you another set of verses. Here, we're gonna start with Genesis 6, 6. It says, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth and he was grieved in his heart. John 16, Jesus speaking, therefore you too have grief now, I will see you again, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. Romans 9, 1 to 2, Paul says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. This is not hard. According to these verses, what's another function of the heart? What does the heart do? Just say it. Feelings, emotion. the heart is the seat of our emotions. I want you to know as I move through this, God has a heart, so to speak, such that he thinks and he feels and we're made in his image. So we can identify the heart as the seat of thinking and it's the seat of emotions, of the emotional life, the feelings that we have. Those are God-given, the heart is the source of thoughts, emotions, and note these three verses starting in Psalm 37:3. Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Romans 1:24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. In Matthew 6, 19 to 21, this is the New Living Translation. That's a familiar verse, though. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. According to these verses, what does the heart do? Say, say it out loud. What does the heart do? It desires. It longs. See, this is distinction from emotions. Think about emotions. Emotions we f- we feel emotions, sadness, gladness, fear. But desires are the deep longings, the yearnings of our heart. And they're God given. We were made with yearnings, distinct from emotions. Finally. I want to look at exodus 35 22, three more verses It says then all whose hearts moved them both men and women came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets all articles of gold it's when they, they gave for the temple second corinthians 9 7 each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart not grudgingly or under compulsion for god loves a cheerful giver Romans 6 17, Paul says, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were committed. According to these verses, what else does the heart do? It's a little tougher, maybe, but what does it do? What does the heart do? It It acts, it obeys, it chooses. It's the will. You say, well, wait, I thought the will is... That, that will is that part of our psychological... Yes, yes, yes. And the will is located in the heart. In the heart. We choose. We make choices. So, the heart is... It's your thoughts. It's your emotions. It's your desires. And yes, It's your choices. I want you to know, this isn't new to me or new to us. This has been orthodox Christianity and understanding of the scripture for thousands of years. The heart has these distinct parts, but it's the heart. It's connected. Let's add to our definition, if I can, of what is the heart with these things. And I'll put this slide up. The heart is who you truly are and all that you are, note this, in thoughts, in emotions, in desires, and in choices. That's your heart. Well, The heart's just what I feel. Uh, No, it's not. Not according to the Bible. You feel from your heart, but that's not all your heart is. No, you think from your heart, according to the Bible. Yes, you feel from your heart. And, and, and you desire, yearn from your heart. And you choose. All this happens in your heart because the heart is you. It's who you truly are. Okay, why does the heart... We've answered, what is the heart? How does it function? Now, here we go. Why does the heart matter? Why does the heart matter? Because the heart is the source Of life. The heart is the source. It's the wellspring. It's where life comes from. It comes out of your heart. Proverbs 423. uh, Laura read it earlier. Look at it on the screen. I've got got the N-A-S-V, NASB, New American Standard Version, and then I've got three other translations of the second part but notice he says watch over your heart with all diligence why why watch over your heart because for from it flow the springs of life new living translation because it determines the course of your life the message because that's where life starts new king james because out of it spring the issues of life There is no life apart from the heart. Jesus said this in John 7, 38. And let's connect the dots. He said, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And John said, Jesus was speaking of the Holy Spirit. From the inmost being, the Spirit who lives in us flows out of us. The heart is the source of life because it's the heart that God changes. It's the heart that God transforms. And out of our heart, life flow. Now, I am going to seek to illustrate this and interact a bit around it. Some of you are going to have to look up on the screen to see this um, because I know you're sitting in a place where you can't can't quite make it out. But if you don't, it, you know, if you don't get anything, get this this morning. I, I hope you'll get this. Here is a person. Of course, I've got it exaggerated up here, but you know, if I move that anywhere, someone else is not going to be able to see. So here's a person, and and, and here's. Here's the heart, and we're going to think biblically about the heart. You know, it's not the organ that pumps blood. It's the immaterial part of us. It's the true who we are. God himself has a heart, you know, not anthropomorphic, not, not real heart, but he, he's, he has a heart, and, and do you understand God, God thinks, feels, desires, and chooses See, we're made in his image. This is how we're made. And God never thinks, feels, desires, or chooses anything that is not from his whole heart. They're never disconnected, these functions of the heart. They're always together and interdependent upon each other. He chooses and acts. I want you to think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Pre- sin, pre-fall, Adam and Eve lived with their whole heart. What do you mean they live with their whole heart? Well, I want to suggest this. The truth of God informed their thoughts. So the truth of God informed their Thoughts. Which, which shaped and, and molded and, and, and directed, quite frankly, their emotions, their desires, and their choices. Okay, everybody, everybody, see that on the screen. If not, this is the heart. And they functioned from their whole heart so that God's truth informed, you see, their, their thoughts, their thinking, which then truth shaped their emotions, their desires, and their choices. And so when they chose, when they acted pre-fall, they were living out of their whole heart under the, under the authority of God, and they had wholehearted life. But then the serpent comes in, and they tempt them, and the serpent introduces into their thoughts a lie, right? A lie. Instead of rejecting the lie, they believe the lie. And so now what molds and shapes and directs their emotions, their desires, and their choices? What now directs it? The lie. And believing the lie, they choose the fruit. And when they did, y'all, everything flew apart. Read the text in Genesis 3. The man and the woman are now separated from God. Separated. They are now separated from each other. How do we know? Because she did it. No, he did it. <laughs> They're separated from each other. They're hiding from God. They are separated from the creation that they were made to rule and reign over. How do we know? Because there's weeds everywhere. Now it's difficult. And what we don't often see and we miss, and I want you to get this, is they were separated from themselves. This is not psychobabble. They were separated from themselves, so their own heart blew apart because they looked and said, I'm naked. And when they knew that, they had to cover themselves. Why? Shame. Shame. What I'm suggesting is for us to think of the fall and understand that when Adam and Eve made that choice, it was was because they believed a lie. And then when they got to their desires and said, what do we want? Do you know why they chose the fruit? Because they wanted it. You see, you will choose what you want. And the lie distorted their desires. They weren't made for that, but the lie distorted it. And they said, we want it, we're taking it because we think there's a better way than trusting God's truth. And when that happened, I want you to understand, Literally, in a sense, their heart blew apart. Their heart blew apart. And their thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices were no longer connected, whole, complete. And we're born like this. Heart blown apart. And we live life like this. The reason the heart is mentioned so many times in the Bible, you all, is because we have a heart problem. The problem's never out there. You know, if they would just, if I just had... I mean, anybody notice anybody notice the lottery lately? You think you need that? Two billion dollars? Oh, that'll solve my problems? Hardly. The problem is my heart. God puts His finger on that, of course. Jeremiah seventeen nine to ten says the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick who can understand it i the lord search the heart y'all are problems internal it's not external problems not sitting next to you or waiting for you at home or waiting for you at work it's in us jesus would say it this way you're familiar with this mark 7 21 to 23 he said for from within out of the heart Proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries. I won't read the whole thing. You get it. Jesus says, look, the problem's not out there. The problem's not what you're doing. The problem is your heart. It's internal. And thank goodness he promised the solution. Now we're really threading together our Bibles to say he made a promise. We call it the new covenant covenant. It's mentioned in Jeremiah, Ezekiel. I'll quote the Ezekiel passage, which echoes Jeremiah, Ezekiel 36, 26. Moreover, this is Jesus' promise in the Old Testament, or God's promise in the Old Testament, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Men and women, please understand, when you and I place our faith in Jesus, it is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise of the new covenant, and you understand when the Holy Spirit indwells us, when we are saved because we put our trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, we have a new heart. We, we can't fix it. But when we trust Christ, you see, God puts our heart back together. You can't fix your heart. Only God can. This is the new birth. Paul would describe it this way. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. We're talking about the heart. We've got a new heart. This is, this is, the, this is the heart of flesh that God promised in Jeremiah Our heart of stone has been replaced. Our heart's been circumcised. He describes it that way. We've been given a new heart. Wow. Thank you, God. Now, here's the problem. The principle of sin remains. What do you mean the principle of sin? Well, the Bible calls it the flesh. It's not this, like flesh and blood. The flesh in the Bible is that principle of sin that remains in our fallen bodies. We'll never get rid of this principle of sin in us. It's why we sin. See, we're, 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 we're freed from the penalty of sin. And we're truly freed from the power of sin in the sense that we don't have to sin. We don't have to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. But the flesh, the principle of sin remains, and we want to sin, you see, and we struggle with that. And the principle of sin, what it does to our heart, and when I say that, you understand, I'm not saying our emotions. No, to our whole being is the principle of sin will always be at work to separate your heart so that you live from a fragmented, unintegrated Separated heart. That's what sin will do. It will push us out so that we live from parts of our heart, but not the whole heart. And this explains so much to me. You know, this is helpful to me, I'll say, and maybe will be for you. I want you to think about this. You and I, we can live from our thoughts and our choices. We can do that. Uh, We can do that in church. Well, the Bible says it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it really good. I'm going to do it a lot. I want to suggest when we live that way, and we can, and I do at times, I live out of my thoughts and my choices, unconnected to my emotional life, my desires, which are part of who I am when I do that. It really is just, I'm going to label these. Is it not just legalism? Is it not the problem of the Pharisees? Is it not obeying God but having no compassion or heart, emotion that God possesses? And isn't that what they did? They kept the letter of the law and Jesus said, You're whitewashed tombs because inside you're dead. You're dead. And they go, No, no, no. I'm doing everything you say to do, you see. That's not wholehearted life. It's fundamentalism it's ugly. How about this? How about when we live just from our emotions, which we do, I do, so so what we feel becomes the only truth. And so if I feel it, I do it. Is 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 that not simply hedonism? It's only what feels good. And if it doesn't feel good, then I won't do it. But if it feels good, I will. Because I don't want pain and hurt in my life. That's not wholehearted living. Because if Jesus showed us anything, you all, he showed us that life with God includes sadness and pain as much as it does joy and gladness. So when we just live from a, just, just our emotions, that's all I'm going to live from. I'm, you know, I feel that like I'm going to do it. Just hedonism, emotionalism. How about when we just live from our desires? And by the way, you do understand that our desires are God-given. They just get tweaked up by the lies. But we have yearnings and longings from within. But when we live from those and those alone, and we're not connecting our desires to the truth or our emotions, and all we say is, you know, I have these longings and whatever. These longings need to be satisfied. I'm going to do it. I'm going to choose it. I can't spell this, but it's narcissism, so y'all can't see it either, but it's, um, it really is real, and it's someone who, because of some woundedness, whatever it may be in their past, you got this part of you that says, I really want to matter. That's God-given, but the narcissist says, the only way I can really matter is if if I'm number one. The only way I really matter is if I'm the hero. And so a narcissist will live in such a way that it'll cost everyone around them deeply. But man, they're amazing and they're powerful and they're strong and they're the hero. It's just narcissism living out of your desires, unconnected, unconnected to your thoughts and your emotions. And we're all susceptible to these. Trust me, I'm so susceptible to these things. And it's not life. You know, people, most people, many people live their whole life this way. And I can tell you, there, there are some people who live this way, and narcissists in particular, they get a lot done. I mean, they, they like build amazing companies, churches, I don't know. You, they, they, they rise to tremendous power, and it's like, whoa, wow, ooh, ah. Totally unconnected. Totally unconnected to their whole heart. And I promise you this, while they get stuff done and look successful, Ecclesiastes tells us, it's vanity. It's just vanity. It's here. And it's gone. It doesn't last. I hope you can see in this, when I put these next verses up, what David meant when he cried out in Psalm 86, You'll see this on the screen. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Notice the words he use, uses. Unite my heart to fear your name. I'm telling you, he's not talking there. The Hebrew there is not, um, give me a, give, let, let all of my heart love you. No, he's saying, join, join, unite. Notice what it says in the NIV. It's another version. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And so this is David's prayer and it's our mission as a church to help people find wholehearted, Life in Jesus, wherein our thoughts are grounded in the truth such that the truth enables us to express and know the the heart of the emotional life in our life and the life of God. And watch this. And our deepest desires, you see, are transformed by the truth. So that when we choose to live, and and, and there's a reason we do it this way, you think, you feel, you desire, you choose. When we choose, when I make that choice, when I'm wholehearted and all is connected, I want you to understand what happens. You and I will do what we want. That's a fact. And the beauty of the gospel and the work of the spirit in your life and mine is that God transforms our wants, our desires, so that with my whole heart informed by the truth of God, my emotions shaped by God's word, and my desires become transformed. Listen, when I choose, guess who I choose every time. His name begins with a J. Who do I choose every time when I'm out of wholeheartedness? Well, why would I choose Jesus? Because my desires have been changed. And I don't want money, sex, power, influence, cheap idols, cheap idols that, that, that won't satisfy me. It's like the word of God has said, that won't satisfy you, Lloyd, so don't choose it and I'm going to change your desires and suddenly the work of God, this is the miraculous work of God. I want Jesus because he's everything. He, Jesus is all. Last slide. Okay, Lloyd, what is wholehearted life in Jesus? Here's a Maybe a bit of a wordy definition, but let me read it. Wholehearted life in Jesus is when our thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices unite to find our deepest longings and our greatest hopes fulfilled in Jesus alone. Don't you know that's what we were made for? And I get it. I choose other things still. But they don't satisfy. And so our mission, what we get to do, is experience wholehearted life ourselves, yes, and then invite others to experience wholehearted life. In Christ. Y'all, this is what Rob talked about last week when he said, Shalom. I want the band to come back out because we're going to sing. But what is shalom? This is, I'm going to tell you the longing of every heart in the room. I'm, I don't have to read your mail, but the Bible tells me this. I just want things to be the way they're supposed to be. That's called the peace of God. And it's ours when we're living wholehearted life in Christ. Let's stand together. We'll sing of that, Mindful that Jesus, oh my, y'all, he, He, He alone satisfies our deepest longings he alone fulfills our greatest hopes